0: If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me uh, first to the book of John, and then we're going to go over to the book of Matthew in just a couple of moments. Um, And as we approach um, the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus, today is a significant day because we know it as Palm Sunday. Uh, and yet I couldn't help but think of the Paul that has been cast across this day for Christians around the world, uh, waking up this morning and seeing the news notifications on my phone of the two churches that were bombed in Egypt uh, this morning, uh, that were there to simply celebrate the triumphal entry of Jesus uh, into Jerusalem. We are still living in a day where Christians are persecuted for their faith. Uh, A lot of people wrangle about the history that goes back. Folks, I want to tell you that much of what took place in history in the name of Christ was so not Jesus. It wasn't Jesus at all. Uh, We think about, and of course, there is the difference, obviously, in some of the major religions of the world, but... Uh, this, of course, today was claimed by the Islamic State. And uh, often the, the, the argument is brought up, well, you know, there was the Crusades, which uh, unfortunately for us, we can't fix. Nobody can fix. Uh, you know, that took place in the 1200s. Um, and so much of, of history is brought up as to the reason there is this contention. Uh, throughout the world, and this rise of of violence. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know that whatever took place in history, though it was done in the name of Christ, Jesus was not there with it. You have to recognize that. You have to understand the difference of what people lay claim to uh, in the name of Jesus and what Jesus actually will put his stamp of approval on. I don't think Jesus put his stamp of approval on anything that took place in that time as a result of holding up a cross as being the sign of why we're killing and slaughtering and uh, all of those things that took place. So you need to be careful and be wise about those arguments that sometimes come down and are thrown up in, in front of the face. But I want you to know that in our current society, we are living in a very, very difficult time. Uh, and today I couldn't, I just, I, the, my heart sank as I saw this. I knew what I was going to preach. And today we're going to talk a little about uh, about the triumphal entry. It's not the whole message as I would often do on Palm Sunday. But we are going to touch on it today as one of these significant events and the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. But Jesus, interestingly, by the way, I want you to understand this in much of what we're seeing in the world and how it's possible that under the name of Christ that there are different groups that arise uh, throughout and they, they throw the name of the Lord onto it and then give way to violence in whatever country and whatever nation. It happens in other nations even today. There are those who say we're we're doing all of these things in the name of Jesus, and yet there is no event more important than the triumphal entry to shows to show that Jesus would not put his stamp of approval on anything like that. But Jesus, in fact, would only put his stamp of approval on something that had to do with peace. And we're going to say this in a moment before you get all worried about what people put a label of the Lord or the Lord's army and then they're they're going about doing all the Lord's liberation or whatever kind of crazy stuff is out there. You have to understand that, brothers and sisters, you can throw any kind of label on it you want and do whatever it is that you decide to do, but it doesn't necessarily mean that He condones it or that this Word condones it. So I hope that we understand that just because There are these things that exist in the world. we got to go to the book, and we got to find out what Jesus would do and what he was all about in order for us to realize what Christianity truly, truly is in the world and should look like. The triumphal entry shows us something very important about his nature. And that is the first event that I want to talk about this morning, in fact, uh, I have, in in times past, gone to the book of Luke to do so. I love Luke's description and all the events that took place on that particular day. Uh, Luke is very descriptive. He gives a lot of detail, actually, uh, toward the end of that, that Matthew or Mark and, and John don't actually give. But we're going to go to John today, and we're just going to deal with some of the basic important things that came out of this and some of the messages that you and I need to get in order to really understand what the triumphal entry was all about and what took place on that particular day, that very first Palm Sunday. The Bible says this in John chapter 12, starting at verse 12. It says, The next day the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. Listen to what the Bible says. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna. We'll get into what that means in just a minute. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Verse 14 says, Jesus found a young donkey. This is important. And sat on it, As it is written, listen to his message. His message is not one of terror. It never has been. If terror is happening in the name of God, it's not God. You have to also understand that. The message of Jesus has always been, do not be afraid. This is God's message to people. Do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. See. Your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. I want you to first of all see in this particular passage of Scripture that the message that he brought was a message of peace. It wasn't a message of violence. Look, during that time, you had to also understand, and and part of what my job and my role as a pastor and a preacher is, is to try to unpack where they were living, and what it looked like, and what it felt like. And we don't really, I, I don't know that I do a good enough job from time to time on doing that, but I need to take a minute here because it's really important you have to understand that at that time Israel was occupied by the Romans the world that that part of the world was under Roman rule there was the Roman Empire it was before there was ever a Roman Catholic Church there was ever before it was the church was sort of an institutionalized thing out of Rome this was long before that that didn't happen hadn't happened as of yet But the bottom line was, is there was a Roman emperor who was in charge and he had had run through all of these nations and these countries and and he had had gained control. Now, he had allowed the Jews to worship God according to the law of Moses. Of course, as time went on, they started to add more things to it. And that's part of what the contention with Jesus was all about. Jesus said, you're adding stuff here that shouldn't be there. You're, you're harping on things that aren't even written in the law. You're adding to that. But but Jesus now is coming into this land, and he's riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. But during that time, if you had somebody who was going to proclaim themselves to be king, or they had been proclaimed king, and they were to be a conqueror, and somebody who was going to deliver, and this is what the people wanted, they wanted somebody who would deliver them from the Roman occupation, from Roman rule. They did not want to be under the hand of the Roman emperor and his governors and all of those people that were in charge. And there were Roman soldiers that were walking around Jerusalem. They, in fact, were the ones who nailed Jesus to the cross. They had their day. A crucifixion is a Roman persecution. It was a Roman means of torturous death. That is all, it's all Roman. During that time. So they're under the control and they're looking for somebody to deliver them. And now they see Jesus, he's coming and they hear he's coming into Jerusalem. And they say, This is it. This is the time we're going to get the Messiah who is going to deliver us from Roman rule. And all of a sudden, here is Jesus riding into Jerusalem, not on a horse, often. The kings and the conquerors and the men of war would ride in on their their stallions and they would would have their sword and they'd have their whole getup and their their armor and everything else and that was a sign that they were going to deliver the people. But the Bible says here, in a sign of peace, and he quotes out of Zechariah 9 and verse 9. I'm going to read that because Zechariah actually has a few things here that that none of the uh, the writers in the New Testament refer to. There are a couple of words that are used here, but listen to what he says in Zechariah 9 and verse 9. It says, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. It says, See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious. Well, how is he righteous and vict- How is he victorious? That's really what we need to think about because he's not coming to bring victory over the Roman people, over the Roman occupation. But the Bible says here he's victorious, and yet he is lowly, humble, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The donkey signified somebody who was coming in peace. You see, he was riding on this animal that didn't suggest that there was going to be some kind of a great victory that would be won over some occupying force. It suggested something different, and yet the prophet says he was victorious. Why? Well, about a week later, less than, than a week later, Jesus is going to be victorious on the cross. You see, there is something significant and spiritual about this. This is not has nothing to do with, with some kind of an occupying force that's there. I want you to know he brought a message of peace. His message still is a message of peace. We know him as the Prince of Peace, and we understand that Jesus came to give peace to mankind, to their hearts. What's going to be the answer for the violence in the world? It's going to be the peace of Christ. It's going to be when there's revival and all of a sudden it begins to sweep into places we never dreamt it would sweep into before, into countries that seem to be dominated either by Islam or some other religion and all of a sudden God begins to do something wonderful and powerful and new that we have never dreamed about. And right here in this country where people are so full of rage and anger and frustration all of a sudden God is going to do something mighty and bring revival and he's going to bring peace to the that man or that woman their hearts where they've been so much in turmoil you see Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey not to declare himself as the conqueror over the Romans but he came and declared that he was in fact the one who would bring peace into the hearts of every man and woman who would trust upon him as savior and I want you to know that whatever might be done, somebody can slap a label on them that says "Christian" and then go out and do crazy things. It does not mean they are that thing. you have to be we have to be so wise folks we have to be we have to have discernment we have to have that spirit within us, the Holy Spirit that says that that's not right that's not what the Bible says, just because somebody says there's something and then does something quite different on a regular basis, brothers and sisters, does not make them the thing that they say they are. Jesus came to bring peace. He came to deliver mankind from their great sin that stood between them and God. And only peace, the peace, the peace that comes from God is the only peace that can satisfy a heart and a soul. There is something else that happened on that particular day, and there is something wonderful that took place. It brought praise from the hearts of people. John chapter 12, verse 13 says this. This is where we get the idea of it being Palm Sunday. Uh, And it appears as though maybe it was a Sunday. Uh, Somebody has kind of worked those days out. That's above my pay grade. But we, we celebrate a Palm Sunday. This is... But listen to what he what it says. It says they took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. That word Hosanna actually means save now or help now. Save now or help now. It means save. It can also mean save, I pray. It comes from an Aramaic word. It's, it's written in the Greek, but it, was, it comes from an Aramaic word saying save, I pray. Save us. So there was an element of, of praise in this. And we use the word today as a form of praise and worship. Some people will use that word, Hosanna, and they shout to the Lord. And, and that's wonderful. There's nothing wrong with that. But really what they were saying was, save us right now. But they recognized him, first of all, as a king. They recognized him as somebody who should be blessed and should have praise heaped upon him. And I want you to understand, as much as their praise was not perfect, and as much as their praise of Jesus, there was this expectation that he was going to deliver them from the Romans, he still, he didn't shut them up. In fact, you go over into the book of Luke and you read Luke's account of this. Luke records for us this wonderful encounter that he has with the Pharisees where the Pharisees say, why don't you shut them up? You know, listen to what they're saying. He said, if if they don't praise me, the rocks are going to cry out. So Jesus didn't reject it. He knew how imperfect. He knew it was based on on this, this perception of him that wasn't even necessarily the case. And sometimes our praise is based on some things that may not necessarily be the case, but brothers and sisters, Jesus will never reject your praise because he's always worthy of the praise. So it brought on this particular day, this event brought praise from the hearts of people who were there, some of whom had seen praise. Mighty miracles take place. In fact, the passage of Scripture that occurs after that, I didn't get down to it, but it tells us that there were some who had seen Lazarus come out of the tomb. I mean, you you see a dead man come out. (laughs) Hallelujah. You know, (laughs) why wouldn't you praise? You know, I I mean, seriously, if you're not prone to praising, you you praise. I mean, you you might fall over, but, you know, you praise. There were things that they praised him for four. Sometimes it refers to the fact that they praised him because of the things that they had seen him do. He doesn't reject that. If God has done something in your life, you can certainly praise him. You can give thanks to him and praise him. Blessed is the king. They declared it. Blessed is the he who comes in the name of the Lord. They recognized him as coming in the name of the Lord, the Father. That, that there was something mighty and awesome about him. And then they said about him, blessed is the king of Israel. Well, not everybody had that view. But nonetheless, they still said it. They still praised him and lifted him high in their lives. And I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that that is something that you and I need to do. You, you said, well, I, I'm going to praise him today for what he's going to do. Go ahead, praise him. You can, you, can pray, you can worship Him for what He's going to do in through and through your life. You can magnify the Lord because of all that He's done. You say, but I look back on my life and I don't see a great deal. That's all right. Praise Him anyway. Maybe He hasn't answered a prayer yet. Praise Him anyhow. You can, you can praise Him in the good times and the bad times. You can praise Him at any time. And I want you to know that He is always worthy of it. Listen, I've said it before. I'll say it again. If he never does another thing for you, the fact that Jesus died on the cross for your sins is enough for you and I to praise him for the rest of eternity. Look, there are people who aren't going to be healed of the sickness that they have for whatever reason. I'm not here to look. I, I'm not. I'm not here to delve into all the whys and the wherefores. All I know is this. Sometimes God doesn't do it the way that we expect. Sometimes it doesn't work out the way that we had anticipated. And the question is, are you still going to praise Him? It's like the Hebrew boys said as they stood before the king. We don't need to answer you in this matter. Our God is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. But even if He doesn't, we're not going to bow. We're going to worship and serve the Lord. So even if he doesn't, it brought praise from their hearts. Now here's something else it did. It brought expectations to the surface. It brought what kind of Messiah they were expecting. It's, it, the, the tale is told in that one word, Hosanna, save now. They believed he was the king, but they believed that he was the Messiah who was going to conquer everything. But Jesus came as the Messiah who would bring peace. My question to you is, what kind of Savior are you expecting in your life? So I, I love that we're more than conquerors. Oh, Paul, yeah, you got that right, man. We jump on that one. We're, we're just all over. I, I had a professor friend, a friend, a pastor, pastor friend. He was also one of my professors in Bible college. His father was a mentor of mine. Uh, but Pastor Doug Crandall, pastor Zion Gospel Temple in East Providence, Rhode Island, and, and one of his favorite sayings when he was teaching, I, this guy could open up the New Testament. He did not have notes. He didn't have outlines. He could open up the New Testament. He'd just be teaching it. And te- I mean, it came, he, he had one of the, he's got one of those minds. It just came, comes from the heart. You know, it just comes, and every now and then he'd come to a scripture and he'd say, jump on that one. And me and my classmates, we'd just, in the, in the room, we'd just be, you know, doing that, stomping our feet like we're jumping on it. He got a kick out of that. That's what happens in senior year of Bible college. You're ready to get out the door. But, you know, it was, it was a wonderful, this is one of those things where we could, you know, you can look at some of those scriptures that you can jump on. And from time to time, I want you to know the, the, the kind of Messiah that we somehow are expecting are the ones that that is going to conquer everything and make it all good. And from time to time, Jesus shows up on a donkey, not the stallion. He shows up to bring peace in the middle of your storm, not take the storm away at the moment. Now, he'll do that toward the end. He'll speak to it. But most of the time, he has to speak to your heart first. He has to give you that That sense of peace within your soul. And many times for us it is, well, we want God to just show up and fix it all. Change it all so I don't have to deal with it. (coughs) It's like what T.D. Jakes once said, how are you ever going to know you have faith until you're in a good fight? You You can't recognize the power of God unless you're in the middle of a situation where you need the power of God. You and I show up into situations and we think, well, God, you just got to come and conquer it all and just take it all away. I don't want to feel this way anymore. And sometimes he says, like Paul, who said, You know, God, I've got, Lord, I've got this thorn in the flesh. I don't like it. I don't want it. Take it away. You know what God said? No well he didn't say no those exact words but here's how he said no my grace is sufficient for you <laughs> for you know what brothers and sisters you and I have a hard time from time to time recognizing that we need to depend on the sufficiency of his grace in that situation that maybe it is that God wants to bring us through the fire not out of the fire or save us so we don't ever have to go into it but like those three Hebrew boys, they had to go through the fire. But when they came out of that fire, they no longer had the smell of hell on their garments. They no longer had the smell of smoke upon them. All the things that bound them, those things that just weren't, weren't supposed to be there, they were gone. I want you to know from time to time, God has a fire in store for us that He's not going to deliver you from having to go into, but He will deliver you out on the other side and you will be stronger and better than you ever were before. I don't like it. It doesn't always feel good. The fear of your heart and your mind sometimes takes over and we don't want to go through those things. But the question is, what kind of Messiah are you expecting? Look, there's nothing wrong with saying God is going to conquer this situation. I agree. I don't think there's a problem with that. I think the issue comes in is we don't ever, when we don't ever allow Him to bring us through something with the peace that He can give. He wants you to believe that He is a peaceful, giving God. There is another event that we need to go to. I'm spending a lot of time on this. So let's get to this one, shall we? In fact, let's let's deal with it. Let's. I'm just going to briefly go through this this one because I want to get to the last one. I think it's so important. This second one, Matthew 21 verses uh, 12 and 13. (coughs) Matthew 21 (coughs) verses 12 and 13. (coughs) Matthew 21 verses 12 and 13. I'm reading from the New NIV. But the Bible says this, Jesus entered the temple courts. This happened apparently, seemingly, shortly after the triumphal entry. It may not have been that very day. Not 100% sure. It's possible it was the next day. But the Bible says Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. Doves were to be the sacrifice for those who essentially could not afford a lamb, who could not afford sacrifices, Uh, some other kind of an animal. Maybe it was a very poor family. They didn't have a lamb, but they would be able to get, at least for a a very insignificant cost to them, a, a dove to then offer as a sacrifice There were within the temple walls and and courts these markets that sprang up to sell these animals that under the law of Moses said had to be sacrificed, certainly on the Passover. The Passover is all about the sacrificial lamb uh, that was slain for essentially to to put the blood on the doorposts uh, of the people of of Israel when they were in Egypt. And then they were, uh, you know, the, the, the angel of death would pass over that household and not take the firstborn of of both the family and or the animals that were a part of that house. So it was very important. It's very significant. But this was at the time of the Passover, so this market was in full swing. But the problem was is that then there became this, not just was it as it became a zoo of this marketplace happening inside the temple courts, but then people were getting ripped off. They were getting stolen from. They were They were just, th- these, these vendors were taking advantage and now robbing essentially the people by marking up the prices even to the point where it made it difficult if not impossible for some of those especially who were poor to be able to purchase this sacrificial offering that they were to give to God. It became an absolute insane kind of atmosphere Jesus goes in, he knows, he's been through a few Passovers already in his ministry, but this one was really going to be significant because he was going to be the sacrificial lamb for all of mankind the day before the Passover started. So Jesus goes in and the Bible says he overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling the doves. Now listen to what he says. Verse 21 or verse th- 13 in chapter 21 of Matthew, it is written, he said, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. So Jesus saw what was going on there. He saw that it was more than just a provision of people who maybe didn't have those animals in their possession at that time. It was There was more going on than just this sacrificial kind of thing in this market to provide a service to people. This this went way beyond. It was, we're marking up the prices, we're going to make some money today, and we're going to walk away this Passover rich. And Jesus saw it, he said, you're robbing people. And he goes through and he overturns all of them. You imagine money flying everywhere, guys who had been, you know, counting their pennies and counting on the vacation they were going to take all of a sudden. It's rolling down, the you know, the temple courts and they can't find it. You imagine that day that that had to be absolutely crazy. Say, well, Jesus got angry. Yes, he did. He got angry at the sin that was being put out there and ignored and simply just just kind of taking advantage of people. And listen to what he says here. <clears throat> he says this. Essentially this. And this was not a new problem, by the way. But he quotes out of Isaiah, and listen to what Isaiah, you don't need to turn there, but listen to how Isaiah says this in Isaiah 56 and verse 7. He says, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Now notice, he's talking about the temple, my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer, and and Isaiah adds, for all nations. My house will be called a house of prayer. He said the purpose of the house, and Jesus tells them this on this particular day, the purpose of this building was for it to be a house of prayer. In fact, when it was dedicated, it was dedicated by Solomon. And when he prayed and, and prayed over that, that great priest, that great prayer that we have in 2 in Chronicles as he dedicates the temple. Of course, the temple, that temple had been destroyed and Herod built another one. But the point of it was, is that anybody, even foreigners could come there and find a place of refuge and a place of solace in reaching out to the Lord. The house of God was to be a house of prayer for all nations, no matter where you come from, no matter who you are and what you're doing. But he says, what's happening here is it's a den of robbers. Well, that was nothing new. Jeremiah 7 and verse 11 actually says, has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you? Listen what he follows up with, and this is God speaking, but I have been watching, declares the Lord. Oh, well, don't ever think that God misses anything. He didn't miss anything. Jesus knew what was going on. He had been through Passovers before, he had observed it, and yet somehow he sees on this particular day and he's had, he's had enough, he brings judgment upon them in a way that they could not imagine. You imagine judgment occurred in that moment by all of a sudden money being taken from those robbers. It's overturned and all of a sudden money's gone. They're left scrambling trying to grab onto what they robbed from people. What is his house? His house is a house of prayer. His house is to be a place where people can call upon the name of the Lord. The final event that I want you to see is this. It's a Garden of Gethsemane. Go to uh, Matthew chapter 26. <clears throat> Garden of Gethsemane. Matthew 26. And we're going to read from verses 36 to 46. Matthew 26, verses 36 to 46. <clears throat> One of the great, great events. That we see, we learn so much. This really kind of almost dovetails with what I just—the event that I just talked about, about prayer and about the house of God being a place of prayer, not not worrying about what it is that we do, um, in in the sense of are we, you know, doing everything that we were supposed to do. If we call upon God, we've done a great deal. But I want you to see how Jesus reacts to the most significant thing that is going to happen to him. He knows what's coming. He knows the cross is about to take place. He knows he's been betrayed by Judas. And that kiss that will be the sign that he is the one that the Romans need to take, the soldiers need to take, is coming later on that night. But the Bible says then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. Now, it wasn't all the disciples. It was specific. There were three. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. Zebedee's sons, two sons, followed Jesus, James and John. They were brothers. So it was Peter, James, and John along with them. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. This is Jesus. He said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. You and I will never truly understand what Jesus was going through in this moment. We will never really, until I suppose we reach heaven, we won't fully comprehend everything that he's going through. He knew what was going to happen the following day. And for most of us, if we know that it's going to take place, we're worried about how badly it's going to hurt. There was more to it with Jesus because Paul writes later on in in one of his epistles, in one of the books of Corinthians, he tells them that he who knew no sin became sin for us. Theologically, I know it. I still don't quite comprehend that, that verse of Scripture. Same thing here. The Bible says he became exceedingly sorrowful and and he says, I'm overwhelmed. My soul is overwhelmed. Why? Not because of the physical pain. That's going to be enough for any, any sane person to go a little bit nuts. But what he is about to experience on his soul the next day is more than what you and I could ever imagine. Listen to what it says and let's go on. In this I don't have time to talk about that. That's for another day. Going a little farther, verse 39, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, "My Father, if it is possible, may this cup, this cup of suffering, be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will." Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Nice he could depend on them. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. Twice he says, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy, so he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing three times. He says, not my will, but yours be done. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come. The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Imagine this. I want you to see this and understand this. First of all, it is this. In the Garden of Gethsemane, I want you to recognize that Jesus, when he faced the cross, he didn't do it alone. And when he went to the place of prayer with an intense need in his life, he also did not do that alone. You say, but wait a minute. He brought three guys with him who fell asleep on him. Yes, I know that. They weren't perfect in what they did. They weren't perfect, but Jesus involved somebody else. You ever have somebody, you, you, you come to them and you say, you know, I need some prayer. I need some help. And, and you know what's going on. Maybe you haven't shared all the details. And they start praying, and they're out in left field. From what it is that, that you really need pray, prayer for, like they're just out there. And you think, you walk away saying, well, that was just disappointing. Maybe you were expecting them to just, you know, through the Holy Spirit, it was revealed to them what it was that you're dealing with and you were were hoping for that, and it didn't happen. I want you to know Jesus, what he was hoping for for his disciples, one, was to stay awake, and two, was for them to be able to pray with him. Off in the distance, but pray, and pray for him. And they didn't do any of those things. I, it, it's an amazing thing to me. I don't even know why Jesus involved them other than from time to time, maybe to teach us all a lesson that from time to time we still need to depend on one another. And Jesus was in that moment, depending on them, he even said to them before they ever fell asleep, before he prayed the first time, he says, my soul is sorrowful and overwhelmed to the point of death. Can you imagine that? Somebody says that to you, what are you going to do? Okay, let's pray. Oh, let's sit down while we pray. Yeah, that's better. Wait, let me get a little more comfortable. Dear Jesus. You know, I mean, we can do that. And they're involving us in something that's so incredibly intense in their life. And yet I love the fact that Jesus brought them into it. I love the fact. He knew what they were going to do. He knew what was coming. He knew they were going to fall asleep. And he involved them anyway. You see, we need each other. And Jesus recognized that even in this moment, that as a human, as a man, see, Jesus was fully God and fully man at the same time, something we don't comprehend. But he was, as a man, he depended on those that had been with him. It's an amazing thing. You and I need one another. Jesus. Faced the prayer, pr- faced the cross with prayer. He knew what was happening. He was about to go to the cross, he was about to suffer, he was about to die. Beyond that, he was about to have the sins of the world heaped upon him. You and I can't even comprehend. We, we have a hard enough time with our own sins. Right? From time to time, we give into the flesh. Or from time to time, we just give in to whatever it is we're thinking. And, and afterwards, we feel so guilty and we feel terrible. Or maybe it is that the devil brings up your past and kind of throws that in your face. And you just walk away with your head down and feeling like, i have just so messed up so badly. How could, any, how could God even love me in this situation? How is it possible that this could happen? And we just somehow kind of slink off away. And the, the guilt and the weight upon us, it, it's difficult to handle. Jesus was about to have your sin and my sin and everybody else's sin in this room and everybody else's sin in the whole world heaped upon him. This is why he said, My soul is overwhelmed. I know that what's coming tomorrow is physically going to hurt, it's going to be painful. But spiritually, there is going to be something way more that is going to hurt worse than anything that you could ever imagine. And it is the sin of mankind being heaped upon me in that moment. And the question is, what do you do when you have an overwhelming circumstance happening in your life and a problem that's coming? Oh, well, we got to just, you know, I got to think of something to do. I'll give you something you can do right now. Jesus shows us an example of what you and I can do when we are overwhelmed, he heads to the place of prayer. He doesn't just say, well, I'm just going to do my own thing. Figure it out. He doesn't do that. He goes to the place of prayer. He faced the cross with prayer. How much, how much more you and I should face whatever we're do- going through? It's not the cross. We don't have to do that, thank God. But face our problems and our difficulties With prayer. One final thing I want you to note about this. In the Garden of Gethsemane, the Bible says this, and it indicates to us that he submitted to the will of the Father. The Bible says, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. It's not what I want in this moment. This moment right now, I don't want to face what I have to face. I don't want to have to go through what I have to go through. Beyond the physical suffering, the spiritual suffering as well. And in fact... When you read and you read in Matthew and then you read John's account, you read all the gospel's account of the crucifixion, you get, you get a full picture of what it is that Jesus went through. And that moment in which the Bible says that the sky grew dark and he, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me you and I will never understand what that feels like we won't because we know he will never leave us or forsake us but in that moment all of the sin of mankind is thrown upon him and in that moment brothers and sisters there is such an intensity of his soul and his spirit he is feeling something about our humanity that you and I we can only even deal with on ourselves and maybe even we can't deal with our own humanity we get frustrated with ourselves from time to time and how disappointing we might be to those around us. But I want you to know, brothers and sisters, in that moment, Jesus had it all on him. And yet he said, Not my will, but your will be done. I, I don't know if you understand the suffering that Jesus went through. Most of us, we sit here and we say, well, nobody can really understand my suffering. Wrong. I might not be able to I might not be able to understand what you 're going through today I, maybe i don 't know where you came from i don't know what what what's been done in your life, and maybe you haven't even revealed half the suffering to those that you love, but all I know is this: I know there is one who understands what you 're going through. there is somebody who understands the anguish of your soul not because He suffered physically on the cross, which is excruciating enough. I don't have time to get into all of that. I need to bring this to a close. But He suffered the emotional, the spiritual pain of your life, the things that you don't like to reveal to anybody. You don't want anybody to talk about. You don't want to talk about it yourself. He feels that suffering. It's an amazing thing how we'll hide things from people. You can't hide it from God. I was shocked to find out when I was, after my dad had passed away. I never knew this growing up about him. And this is how we are as human beings. We don't share things with others. We like to hide it all. My dad was a pastor for well over 40 years. I I don't remember how long, even more than that, actually. For a long time. Pastored one church for 39 my mom told me after he passed away, she said, you know that dad only had an eighth grade education, right? I said, what? Oh, yeah, he didn't uh, He didn't ever want to talk about it. He repeated, now, he, he grew up on a farm in New Brunswick, Canada. His family didn't have enough money. I don't know how the whole school system worked. Those who have, you, we, we go to, most of our kids go to school and you pay very little. Trust me, that's a blessing, kids, and I know you might not think that, but it is. But he didn't have the money. They didn't have the money to send him to the high school. So when he was about ready to become a freshman in high school, he repeated the eighth grade a second time so he could get as much out of it and learn as much as he possibly could. And then the rest of his time, he worked the farm for his dad. After that, he went to Bible college. Say, well, how in the world did he get into Bible college? Well, he went to a school that, you know, at that time, you didn't have to pay thousands and thousands of dollars, and he got to meet the founder of the school, Sister Christine Gibson, and she said, I want you to come. You come. And from that day on, my dad studied like his life depended on it. For every sermon, every message, he was a man that I looked up to and always looked up to, but it was something that I didn't find out about until after he had died. He didn't talk about it. He didn't reveal it. There are certain things you don't reveal about yourself even to some people you i mean his own children i had no idea and i said but dad dad he was a wise man he was a smart man he had a high intellect he could study he could you know he would study for hours for sermons he would labor over them and it would just come from the heart it would just exude from his life he wasn't lazy he didn't quit school because he he just didn't feel like it anymore no no it wasn't like that but he didn't share it and that's how we are from time to time. There are things that we don't share with others. Those burdens come upon us and they're so weighty that we don't, we don't want to promote anything about it. We don't want it to be out there. But I want you to know, brothers and sisters, you and I, we bear burdens and things like that from time to time on ourselves, and it's difficult. We learn how to manage them. But can you imagine with Jesus in that last moment, it's all thrown on Him. All your junk all your sin, all your garbage, all the things that the world says, ha ha, nothing wrong with that. I want you to know that all that junk was heaped upon him for you and for me so that we could be free today. Brothers and sisters, there is more to this wonderful story I want you to know next Sunday is the more it's the rest of the story as Paul Harvey used to say. It's the rest of the story. It's the best part of it. But we, we couldn't have, look, if we, had, if we had the cross and no resurrection, we'd be nowhere. Christianity would be nothing. And Paul says so. By the way, I'm not the one to say that. Oh, brothers and sisters, we have a wonderful God. We have a wonderful Savior. I'm so thankful for these, these significant events. There were others as well but I'm so grateful for what He's done. Are you grateful? Would you just stand to your feet right now and just give God thanks and praise? Just give Him all the, all the blessing and the praise that He's worthy to receive before all that He's done for you. The sacrifice that He gave to you. The sacrifice that He was for you. I want you to just come upon this moment right now and just say thank you to Jesus. Give Him thanks and praise right now. Lift your voices and magnify the name of the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah to you, Lord Jesus. We magnify your mighty name, Jesus. We magnify your mighty name, oh God. Hallelujah, we love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We glorify your name, oh Lord. Hallelujah to you, Lord Jesus. Oh my God, we thank you today. You're worthy of all the praise. You're worthy, Lord Jesus. You're worthy, O oh God. Hallelujah to You, Lord God. Hallelujah. We thank You, Lord. Lord Jesus, I thank You for what You taught us about peace on that first Palm Sunday. You didn't come as a conqueror over humanity, over kingdoms, over occupations. You didn't come as a conqueror for that. You came as somebody to deliver peace in the heart and a conqueror over sin. I thank You, Jesus, that this place can be a place where we call upon Your name freely and cry out to You. And God, I thank You today for Your power and Your mercy. I thank You, Jesus, today for all that You've done and all that You're going to do. So God, right now in the name of Jesus, help us to understand what it means to truly submit to You and Your plan and Your will and Your way, O God. We love You, Jesus. We love You, Lord Jesus. In the mighty name of the Lord, we call upon You, Jesus. I thank You for Your grace. I thank You for Your mercy, O God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah to You, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah to You, Lord Jesus. We love You, Jesus. We love You, Jesus. Bless the name of the Lord. Bless the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah to you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. I would encourage you this week. Hopefully some of you are on some kind of a plan for reading your Bible. and Maybe you're, you read a devotional or something with that. And that's, that's what you do. But you know what? I, I would encourage you this week, take some extra time, go to the Gospels, and read what Jesus did for you. Read about what it is that he has done. Certainly in Matthew 26 and 27. Read it in John chapter 19. uh, Read it in Mark chapter 15. uh, In Luke 23, I believe it is, 23. uh, Read it there. 22 and 23 can get you from this point forward. And just read about what it is that Jesus has done and how it is that he has rescued us. And nobody in the world who's done that. Nobody. I don't care how everybody talks about other people and how great and awesome they are and how wonderful they are. And it's like the song the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir used to sing years ago. There's no one, no one like Jesus. There's no one like him. There isn't anybody in the world who has done what he has done. And I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that's what we stake our lives on. Amen. Turn and greet one another in the love of the Lord before you leave this building today. God bless you.